It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. It is the bye week, but plenty to talk about. We're going to have Athletic Director Jim Sturt coming up here in just a few minutes. Gabe DeArmond, Mitchell Forty here. Want to, before we get started, remind you again, Shakespeare's Events and Catering sponsors this podcast. It is a bye week. There is no football to watch in person. I guess there's football to watch on TV, although it's mostly horrible. So you should get a bunch of pizzas, uh, eight of them at least. Order them from Shakespeare's Events and Catering. Just call one of the restaurants, walk in, whatever. Get that, mention the podcast, you're going to get a big discount, and that's going to make everybody happy, including you, after you eat the pizza. So thanks to Shakespeare's over the last few months has been sponsoring this podcast. We hope they will continue, and that means we hope that you will take advantage of uh, their offer with Power Mizzou and order a bunch of pizza this weekend. Mostly, Mitchell, we're going to kind of have Jim Sterk on and then probably mostly react to what he says, but... Missouri three and one. And before we talk to Jim, like we're back to the point for me, if this football team doesn't win nine games, I'm not going to use the word failure, but I will use the word disappointment. Yeah. Especially with, you know, a, the, how Missouri has been playing and B how the rest of the teams on its schedule have yeah. been playing. Uh, it just kind of, kind of gets worse and worse with, with teams losing quarterbacks and losing to bad teams. Um, but yeah, uh, Missouri has clearly rebounded well from, from that, uh, that loss to Wyoming in the, in the game since their defense has outscored other teams' offense. Like, their yeah. their defense's touchdowns have right. <laughs> been more than the other team. Um, and, yeah, like, you know, the, like I said, the schedule is, is looking very favorable. So, right now you look at probably Georgia as the only game that you say, man, I really don't think they're going to win that one. Every other game going down the stretch, they should have a, a pretty good chance. If Florida is going to be a toss-up, I wouldn't be right. surprised by the time that game rolls around if Missouri's actually favored because they're at home. But the only other one on the schedule that you look at and say, yeah, I can see that being kind of tricky is at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Kentucky is an underdog to South Carolina this weekend. Yeah. I, right. They, you know, they don't have their starting quarterback. They were already, you know, rebuilding a lot from last season. They lost a ton. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, that it's one of those things where certainly Missouri needs to show it can beat Kentucky uh, right. like they did to South Carolina. They haven't beaten Kentucky since Barry Odom took over. But, you, you I mean— you know, right now you you would say Missouri is probably the more talented team. So real quick before we talk to Stark, let's run through those other five games on the schedule, mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to rate these anywhere from. <laughs> this is going to be, you know, this is the one that I could see them tripping up to. Oh my God, this is a disaster if they lose. We start with Troy. Like I don't think it's the easiest game left on their schedule of those five. It may be the toughest. But it's very close to, oh, my God, this is a disaster if they lose. Yeah, you can't lose the two group of five teams in the same season. And, and you know, especially with right. a team that might win eight or nine games. So, yeah, and, and it would be good to uh, go ahead and get the bye week monkey off the team's back since there's two bye yes. weeks this year. So, yeah, I mean, it, I actually think I, I said this at, at practice the other day. I feel like I would be less surprised if Missouri loses to Troy than if it lost to like Ole Miss, Arkansas, or Tennessee, which is yeah. wild. I, I'm not saying necessarily Troy's a better team, but just I, I think you know sometimes these group of five teams come come on the road and, and they'll really get up for a game more so than maybe like Ole Miss would. And Arkansas and Tennessee are just disasters. Yeah, but uh, I still think it's a game Missouri should absolutely win and win easily. And, and I kind of I I agree on Arkansas and Tennessee, but the next game is Ole Miss. That's one like. 
I could see, I think Missouri's going to win. I'd put the chances at like 75%, but I could see that at least being a game. I mean, on the mm-hmm. right day, Ole Miss, I think, has enough to do something. They should have beaten or should have tied Cal last <laughs> week, maybe, you know. Yeah. Um, like, again, I don't think they're good, but if you tell me outside of Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, what's the most likely loss on Missouri's schedule? I think I say Ole Miss just by default. I've said Troy. I've, I've planted my flag with that one, but I'm also not going to pick Mizzou to lose to Troy. I <laughs> right. mean, I, yeah, I agree that it's theoretically possible Mizzou could lose to Ole Miss. I mean, if they play like they did against Wyoming and they turn the ball over three times and, you know, turned right. over in the red zone and don't tackle anyone, then they could lose to anyone on their schedule. But I don't know. I, I haven't watched much Ole Miss. I, I can't get over the offensive numbers they put up against Memphis. They were just horrific i mean they yeah. had like seven first downs in the game and stuff like that so i don't know it's very possible I, clearly their offense gotten better they looked a little better with that backup quarterback uh, at the end against cal but yeah i mean that's the fourth homecoming Plumlee. at home you, you should you shouldn't lose that game yeah then the next one's at vandy um oh i always forget I, about that vandy's game. not as horrible as i think their record says they are but missouri is going to every every team that plays at vandy has more fans yeah Missouri should have more fans. Uh, they'll win that game. I, I lied when I said Troy was the, the like the fourth most likely yeah. loss. I think probably Vandy is ahead of Troy. <laughs> okay. I, for, I just forget that the Vandy game exists every year. Right, and that's the <laughs> week before Kentucky. So then they go, you know, Kentucky, Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, Florida. Those mm-hmm. are the three games that we're watching. And yep. then we're up to Tennessee at home. I, I think it, it – well, let's just talk about the last two together. Mm-hmm. Tennessee and Arkansas – it's a dogfight for what, which one is the absolute lead pipe, no chance they lose this game. Because I don't think there's any chance they lose either one. Because no. those teams are – I saw Jeremy Pruitt said yesterday his team is 100 times better than it was last year. Like, how many points would Georgia State have beaten you by last year then? Yeah. They're awful. They have guys in the transfer portal every week. Like – it's a countdown till when Phil Fulmer is coaching. It's yeah. horrid. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because like you know trying to decide like Tennessee's probably a more talented team than Arkansas. Actually, almost certainly. Like right. Arkansas is the the threads are bare. I mean, yeah. they lost San Jose State's a, a very bad Mountain West team. Very they lost bad. to San Jose State at home. Tennessee has some more talent, but the level of dysfunction is more entertaining. Right. Yes. Like they're probably more of a, a, a proverbial dumpster fire in that way, just because of all the you know the the drama surrounding the program and the misused naval references and the, the sinking right. boat and whatnot. Um, yes, if Missouri loses either of those two games, uh, I mean that 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 would, I, in my opinion, be worse than losing to Wyoming. Yeah, uh, and. Like, the only thing about Tennessee, they were bad last year, and they rose up one week and beat Auburn. Mm-hmm. Like, I could see Tennessee suddenly on one day figuring things out and beating somebody they're not supposed to beat. I can't see Arkansas doing that. Yeah, exactly. I can't see Arkansas possibly winning an SEC game. Yeah, that was kind of my point with the Tennessee being more talented. You're exactly right. Like, they, they have – they do – I mean, they've been recruiting relatively well. They do they have, have – players you've heard <laughs> They of. do have – players who have the business playing in the sec arkansas i'm not i'm actually not sure on that (laughs) not as many yeah so uh, that's just kind of our quick run through 
of the schedule afterwards. Uh, after we talk to Jim Sterk coming up here in a minute, uh, we'll probably react a little bit to what he said. We'll talk a little bit of basketball, but let's get to it. All right, now we welcome in Missouri Director of Athletics, Jim Sterk, uh, during the bye week. Good time to catch up. And, and Jim, I know there are a, a lot of important questions that people want answered, so I figured I would start out with the most important one. We, When your football team's up by three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, which they have been at all three of their home games, your uh, your beverage of choice now at Furrow Field is what? <laughs> um, still sticking with Diet Coke <laughs> till after the game. Uh, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it. Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> but uh, I, I I know uh, it's been fun to see people enjoying the experience at the games um, with the South End Zone and just with. Um, you know, alcohol in a, in a respectful and, and responsible way throughout the stadium. I think it's worked out really well. Um, initially with our three games, I've, I've uh, gotten positive um, feedback from a lot of folks and then also from our game management folks. So it's been really good. I wanted to ask you, we get this question all the time. Uh, people are very interested to know uh, kind of, what you're seeing revenue-wise from this, I, I know the numbers were, were put out week one, but just is it kind of about in the in the ballpark of what you guys expected? Um, probably. I know that first week was was more than what, what they had expected, but that's a, that's a gross number, too. It's not a net number, and and we're it's not like we're going to be flushing cash from from the sales it's more of a, a game experience and and trying to uh, continue to build up our our support um throughout the year but but the i think that first week i had seen a number of 165,000 and 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 they had expected in the 80s or 90s and and it was a crapshoot as far as trying to predict that but um and just so your folks know too that we're going to reinvest that back in. We're we're working on on different cameras, uh, upgrading. Um, we're going to have to be next year dealing with the um, with the uh, the, uh, the the the, the uh, I'm drawing a blank on metal, the, the metal, metal detectors. <laughs> Why I'm, I had to, I got in late last night. Sorry, but I <laughs> we, I was traveling to D.C. for our lead one A.D. meetings. But the metal detectors. And looking at the latest versions of those and how we can um, minimize the the number of staff because it takes a lot of people to do that. So a lot of the, a lot of things in the works that I think the the alcohol sales benefiting the fan experience, but also then helping us reinvest in making a better experience at at uh, Faro Field. Jim Mitchell Forty here. Speaking of uh, the the game day experience at Faro Field, obviously the South End Zone is uh, now fully in use has been for the past three home games just what are kind of the uh the reviews you you've been receiving on that and what specific areas have uh have fans uh, expressed pleasure with um everything from the sound at the games and we really you know worked on enhancing the sound system there uh the video boards the 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 interaction that way and then and then the um the premium areas and the seating um couldn't have been more positive as far as the feedback from folks that they're really enjoying those and I, I think it it's helped um, everyone in the stadium with the sound and the video and and all of that um, and and keep it more intimate I even had people say 
did did you move the sidelines in closer on the you know over the past you know over the past year because it sure looks like it and so I think it, it makes the stadium a uh, a better better all round atmosphere. On the field, uh, obviously, week one was was tough, but they've rebounded and and playing very well. Just kind of, what's your view of of where things stand in your conversations with with Barry a third of the week through the se- or a third of the way through the season here? Yeah, so obviously tough one, but I you know I had looked at that for three years. I I told people I I took a uh, we were a Sweet Sixteen team with Kawhi Leonard, two time M- MVP in the NBA and went to Wyoming and had nine points at halftime once. <laughs> and it's just a different deal. And unfortunately, we had the ball bounce, but bad, bad for us there and losing, you know, three turnovers and all. But but I think what, what I was – I came away even from that game feeling a lot better than what I could have if they would have just, you know, let the momentum of all those bad things happen. But they fought against it and, and really – came back and almost almost won the dang thing. So I, I felt good about the culture and where the direction of the team. I think Barry felt the same way. And uh, I think hopefully, you know, something bad like that happening early helps us not um, have something like that happen to us again. And I, I think they've showed it in the, the past three weeks. They've really focused in and dialed in. And um, I think they're just trying to get better every week because now the competition is going to continue to get get stronger i know a lot of people have asked us this and i know the basic explanation but it, it will be uh, more meaningful coming from you but and that game was scheduled well before you were here before barry was here but a lot of people said why is why is missouri playing that game can you kind of explain why you know i know that game was on the schedule before you were here but why yeah. maybe that game wasn't bought out yeah, so it's um, a home-and-home home agreement that was made, I think, in 2007 or something like that. And, and that was, I think, Dave Christensen had gone um, from from uh, Gary Pinkle's staff, and so I think they were looking um, for a home-and-home. And, home. and and we need those, you know, continue to have those games. You know, we're um, – <laughs> you can tell my scheduling uh, um, uh, interest – uh, we're going to go to we're going to go to San Diego State um, at, for a home and home as opposed to Wyoming and I, and I try to look at it you know when you need to do those home and homes and you can't have every game at home and and uh, one it would wear our fans out and two you know financially to make it make it work you you try to do these home and homes with maybe a group of five or a, a, or a, a, another power five school but you you. For me, I try to what what can that what can that do for Mizzou athletics? What can it do for the football program, and what can it do for the university overall? And so, um, for us, you know, scheduling a San Diego State and it's out there a ways, but we we can hit the LA, the California market, and have an impact there in a positive way, both from the university standpoint, and then and then also. Um, for for athletics uh, purposes and football's purposes, but um, Wyoming was it, it, we went out to Denver um, and we have a 5,500 alums in the Denver area in in the Rocky Mountain alumni group there, and so that was that was great. It just didn't end up in a in a positive way. Jim, I know 
one of the big discussions nationwide uh, surrounding football during this past year and past few years is, is the attendance and, you know, kind of combating the uh, the shrinking attendance nationwide. You all did a few things, but obviously the south end zone, but also changing some of the pricing structure and adding a, a little bit to the in-game experience at Furrow Field. Um, you know, first three games of all, all topped 50,000 with the announced attendance. Just what's your kind of feeling been uh, about those numbers so far? Yeah, I, I think we've – from the things that we've done and then obviously the performance of the team, I feel optimistic about we can continue to grow, um, grow the, grow the base. And I think people are having a great experience. We're trying to have a, a price for everyone. So it's affordable, you know, for someone that just wants to get in the door or someone that, you know, wants, you know, really good seats or wants premium, premium area. So we, we try to have a, a, a menu, if you will, of, of things that that can bring people to to the game and have a great experience and support the team and so um, that's what we're we're trying to do and I think we overall like individual game wise I, I think the last numbers I saw last week were you know we're up um, pretty significantly and we want to continue to grow that as the season goes. Talking with Mizzou AD Jim Sterk and uh, it is programming 101. You don't put the stuff everybody wants to hear right away because we want them to listen to more than the first couple <laughs> questions. Um, I, I, can you explain? I'm not going to ask you when's the ruling coming down because I know nobody knows that. But can you explain kind of the timeline of when there is a final ruling from the NCAA? How you guys will find out? Will you get any lead time as far as knowing? Hey, this is coming down, and and do you have any idea what to expect at this point? When not not what the ruling is, but when you might hear. Yeah. So and and just trying to survey the uh, uh, the what the NCA has done recently with cases. BYU had a an in person appeal case, um, an infractions case about a month before us, and and they received their result about two weeks ago, I think. So. That makes me think that our our um, our decisions, if it runs the same timeline, should be, you know, first week of October or you know second week of October, unless it's you know completely on a different track and that I don't know about. But uh, I saw a few few of those folks out at out at our lead one um, AD meetings in DC, and and they said, you know, we we think it's you know coming in the near future. We get a 24-hour notice of what the decision is, um, so uh, we'll be we'll be uh, hopeful that it's really really positive um, that they they remove the postseason bans uh, on all our teams and and uh, we can move forward. Uh, but and and what makes me think that is there was another decision with Mississippi State in almost the identical case. In fact, ours was probably less egregious than theirs, and and they didn't receive any postseason. So I'm hope, hopefully there was a correction in the uh, in the marketplace, if you will, or or in the in the decisions that that lead to a good decision for us. Yeah, that Mississippi State case came out a couple of weeks ago. We had we had some coverage of that and just kind of the the key differences there between uh, the Missouri case and and how it might still affect. Uh, the Missouri appeal. Um, moving on, Jim, I know another big NCAA centric issue in the news right now is, is kind of some of the notices of allegations coming out from the FBI investigation into college basketball. Um, as you're at, you know, a conference like you were this past week talking with other college athletic directors, is there kind of a sense of urgency? To, are the, are people really hoping that, that, you know, this stuff can kind of get 
resolved quickly or, or is it just more, you know, this is such kind of a, a deep embedded issue that, that it's, you know, going to take it be a lot of years to, to figure this out. Yeah. And obviously no one was talking any kind of details there uh, at, at the meeting. We were talking more of the processes and, and the differences um, of, of what has gone on and what now is taking place and, and uh, those kinds of things. So, um, as far as with enforcement, I, I think they they had a you know, that was a, a big chunk on their plate, and and um, I, I think Stan Wilcox had made a public statement that there were going to be other schools, so I that that were going to be receiving um, infractions notices, and and so Kansas is kind of the first first one that they've they've come up with um, or been announced. Uh, so I think that. Uh, there, there's going to be others, and and they'll uh, uh, they'll be working through those. They're very complicated cases, but um, but I, I'm hopeful that we can move forward. And and you know, if people are doing things um, intentionally, then then they need to be they need to be punished, and and we need to we need to clean that up. And so I think that that's something that I think everyone that that tries to do it right and tries to um, have have uh, play by the rules, if you will, and 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 do that. Um, ho- are hopeful that 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 can uh, persuade people from from not doing it in the future. And so, hopefully, that's that's where we end up, and we can we can move forward in basketball be, because it's a you know it's a great sport, and there's a lot of positives to it, and these are unfortunately some negatives that that have come out. I've kind of a two part question in in reaction, not to one specific school on this, but but this whole process in general uh the the two schools that have received notices of allegations in this i have been struck by the language in what they have said after they got that and i can't say for sure that they're looking at your all's case and saying hey we're going to come out very strongly and say we don't believe this and we're going to we're going to be almost confrontational but in talking to other schools do you get the sense that people took notice of what happened to you guys and and have taken a little bit of an approach that Hey, maybe the idea isn't uh, isn't trying to cooperate, and maybe the idea is to say we are going to fight this. Well, I think there's a big difference. We, yeah, and and maybe they looked at us and we cooperated fully. We we received exemplary cooperation, um, and we turned ourselves in uh, to begin with. And so, big difference in those cases. People are trying to relate them. Um, I think there's a huge difference in those those cases, our, our case and 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 those cases where um, they're they didn't turn themselves in, and and I think those are those are those are that's a big difference. And so I think the results, um, you know, maybe they looked at it and said it doesn't serve us to turn ourselves in or or cooperate and or whatever. Um, maybe that's. Maybe they're they're going along that line. I think it. Our, that's why our appeal and and the decision that comes out in our appeal is very important to the membership in the future because because if they do not overturn our our postseason, then totally people are going to take that kind of um, action and they're going to fight it every step of the way. The, the other and that kind of leads into my other question about this. Uh, to me. Just looking from the outside, I would think that a lot of people in college athletics and college basketball specifically are watching this and saying, I mean, these cases are so different because 
there's actual evidence that's been out in court. I, I mean, this is this is stuff the NCAA usually doesn't get in investigations. To me, these cases also have an impact of if something isn't done here, the NCAA is sending a message that, hey, there are no rules anymore. I mean, is that it, how closely are you guys watching that, and is that too strong of a reaction if these coaches and these programs don't really uh, serve severe penalties? I, I, I think, you know, the NCAA wanted more evidence. They, the uh, FBI wouldn't turn over any evidence that wasn't, um, I guess, accessible in court or presented in court. So um, they didn't get everything they wanted, but they, they got a lot of information. And, and I haven't uh, kept up on the details of it, but just, um, you know, from a 10,000 foot view. But I, I think that, you know, that, that could be, you know, a case could be made that, that if, if there, there's not results where there's clear evidence that things went on, um, then it does um, send a, a message to the, to the membership that, that maybe we don't want to have. Jim, switching gears a little bit here. Um, one thing that that anyone who was at the the SEMO game noticed was uh, you all brought in a lot of uh, kids from around the state, and uh, they were here kind of for a whole day uh, event. It's like called the Mizzou Youth Experience. Just wanted to give you a chance to uh, kind of elaborate on uh, what went into that and and what the the kids got to experience because I thought that was a pretty cool thing. Well, thanks for bringing that up, and and Brian Brown has done a heck of a job in in coordinating that and really building it up to um, to this pasture where we really had the, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, it started, you know, when I came and and really um, felt like there was a need for Mizzou to reach out and and touch parts of the state um, that maybe they had a, a different opinion of what was going on at the university, and I, I felt like athletics could be. Um, could be the the uh, the attraction, if you will, and and uh, invite invite kids to come experience a game, but but at the same time also experience what's going on at the university and the opportunity to go to college that maybe they they haven't thought about. And so we started with St. Louis, and this year we we expanded it with St. Louis and Kansas City, and then uh, Caleb Jones with the electrical co-op uh, throughout the state. Um, we had kids from throughout rural Missouri as well, and so they were able to come here. Um, most, or about half of them, came early, and then they they went through learning learn labs uh, around different disciplines. I think there were 30 different uh, disciplines that that showcased what what um, you might study if you came and and looked at ge- geology or vet med or. Um, uh, just different parts of the university that that people don't get a, a peek in unless they're a, a student here, and so that was really neat. And we had some great alumni and sponsors that helped help fund that. And then um, they had a, a tailgate. The chancellor spoke to them. Conzo, uh, uh, they they learned from uh, one of the fraternities some of the the cheers and and for as a student and gave them all tiger tails and. Then they came to the game and and had a great experience. So it was something that you know I was a farm kid, never thought about you know when I was in sixth grade about college and all. But um, it was neat to to bring those kids here, over two thousand kids, and and experience it. And we want to continue to do that and showcase all the great things that are going on, not only in athletics but across across the university. 
No, you got a busy day. Just want to give you a chance before we let you go, whether it's, you know, Jaden Cox winning another world title, both basketball programs start practice yesterday. What kind of is, uh, you know, has you excited for what's coming up in addition, obviously, to, to the rest of the football season? Well, something really neat. Um, you don't get to do this very often, but we're we're going to be opening up with the the city of Columbia out at Gans Creek, uh, a world class cross country course. And cross country is not usually a, a fan friendly uh, environment because they'll you know stake out a, a course you know and go into the woods. You you see them for a hundred yards and they go into the woods and they come out at the last hundred yards. This one they design and they talk to Mark Burns and and Coach Halter about how do you design a, a course, and the city took it on and has has really developed something special out of Gans Creek, and, and we'll be doing a ribbon cutting out at 4.15 or so, and then and then both the men and the women have, a, have cross-country meets, and they built up berms, so you can see over half or three-quarters of the race from these berms, and, and that'll be really special and, and something that's not done any – anywhere across the country. Um, the, there's a high school meet the next day. They expect about 6,000 people at this with the participants and all the, all the kids. And then um, the state high school meet is going to be there. We're going to be bidding on NCAA, NCAA regionals and then, and then a, uh, a national championship So in the future. So it's, it's something that's going to be really special for our student athletes, but also the community. And it'll, it'll help bring economic impact to the community throughout the years ahead. Jim, last thing for me, Gabe got his uh, funny question in to start, so I, I got to ask here before we let Uh-oh. you off, uh, fully healthy at, in, in your prime, could you take Moon Choi in a 40-yard dash? Because those wheels we saw on Saturday, that, that was some speed. Yeah, he did have some wheels. I was I was impressed. And, and uh, the deans, I, you wouldn't believe all the emails I was getting um, prior, the, the two weeks prior, you know, to Moon, Moon initially asking and telling me he wanted to race the, the helmet car and then all the, the deans getting involved and, you know, warm-ups and training and, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy, but we do have some competitive people on the academic side as, and administrative side as well. Is Moon Choi fully healthy after that? It looked like he might've blown a tire at the goal line. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him pull up too. I I've pulled a hamstring before, and I I, I recognize the uh, the tightness in the in the leg. So I'll, I'll bet he was uh, he was icing and and uh, and getting heat treatments uh, later in the week. All right, Jim. Appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch up with you. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, Jim Sterk, the athletic director at the University of Missouri. I uh, appreciate him obviously taking the time. Uh, bye week's always kind of a good time. I. Uh, what people are interested in is the NCAA stuff. And like you hesitate to say it should be in the next two weeks, but Mm -hmm. it probably should be in the next two or three weeks. Definitely in the next month, you would think. Uh, I think if it gets dragged into November, that's, that would be a bit of a surprise to me. Um, Yeah. We'll see though. I don't know. There's not a whole, I mean, we've broken it down so many different ways. You know, he mentioned the Mississippi state thing. We talked about that in the past um his his argument um about and, and what you you prompted with the uh kind of chilling effect on cooperation that's been kind of a cornerstone to missouri's appeal for a long time even before the, uh, these most recent notices of allegations went out um in the basketball thing and you know maybe that i i can imagine a possibility where that does help that argument from missouri you know yeah. saying look like people are looking at the blueprint you laid out um in this case where this school cooperated and got hammered and 
if you don't reverse that, that then you're just going to get what met with a lot of opposition when the investigators come to town. It, it seems like to me between the whole cooperation issue with the basketball stuff where, again, and I'm not joking when I say this, if these coaches get off fairly light, everyone should cheat. Uh, then I didn't have a chance to ask Jim, but, you know, because we just kind of ran out of time, but the whole uh, getting paid for their likeness and Mark Emmert's idiotic comments on that, like it seems like it's more real than it's ever been that some things could happen where some of these schools just look and go, we don't need to belong to this club anymore. Right. Yeah, I th- I still think we're a little ways away from that. Um, I just, you know, you even look at just the conference leadership and organization sometimes can can be is so fickle. I mean, the SEC is a pretty strong model, but like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think I, I think there's not maybe enough structured leadership elsewhere for for us to be that close to it. But yeah, like the, the image image and likeness thing is I, I could see that being enough to at least prompt some change within the NCAA and how their, their leadership, who is the president and how they yeah. kind of approach that issue. I mean, it's just like it's gotten to the point, too, where the, the you know, there, there was always kind of a segment of the, the public that was like, this is amateurism is dumb. But most people just went along. With it. But I think it's gotten more to the point where the, the public sentiment is kind of like realizing how pointless it is to, to not or like how oppressive almost it is to not allow students to get this name image likeness money it's different than schools paying them a salary yes. Yes. it is not coming from the schools you know so i don't know i, I think definitely that uh, and obviously the, there's some some le- litigation or some legislation involved as well and now, the so. only argument against it is well tua could sell his autograph for five thousand dollars but what about the volleyball player she couldn't make any money well a tua makes a lot more than the volleyball player does b Okay, so it's going to be inequitable. It's already inequitable. Right. It's, yeah. I, I mean, you're already seeing, because like all this basketball stuff, yeah, maybe Kansas paid Billy Preston $90,000, and maybe some mid-major school paid a guy $5,000. Yeah. But they still, you know, there's it's happening everywhere, and right. there's a difference in the amounts, and this wouldn't change that. Also, like, as a former Olympic sport athlete, like, I, I would have been okay with the football players right. getting more money. Like, I, I didn't deserve and, any money for my name, image, or likeness. Right. You know, I wasn't a recognizable figure, but, like, you know, uh, I don't know, James Franklin, who was the quarterback right. my freshman year, like, he he did a lot more for the university publicity-wise. Like, yes. I'm fine with it. It doesn't bother. It's not going to keep me and, from being a college athlete. And, uh, like, I I continue to fall back on this. People are worth what people are willing to pay. So, like, Mm -hmm. no, Nick Saban isn't worth $9 million, but Alabama thinks he is. So, sure, he is. If there's somebody out there stupid enough to pay Trevor Lawrence $100,000 to do an autograph show, then way to go, Trevor Lawrence. Right. Go do it. Yeah. This this actually has nothing to do kind of with our train of thought, but I actually think Saban might be worth all the he might paid be. to Alabama. He, he's he, my, he's he like might the actually. one coach, even though he's the highest paid, that might not be overpaid. Yeah, that, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> it, it, so, again, want to thank Jim Sterk for the time. A lot of, lot of stuff to kind of digest, and I hope you guys all listen to that. Uh, we're going to finish up with a little bit of Mizzou basketball talk. Before we do, once again, want to remind you, call Shakespeare's, walk in, order online, mention the podcast, uh, and you're going to get a discount. Again, eight pizzas or more. You get a discount. It's got to be a group rate, so you've got to find at least a couple of friends. Um, you know, I we ordered Shakespeare's last night, only two pizzas. We are not Ooh. we we do not get eight pizzas for three people. But uh, if you do find yourself needing eight pizzas, mention the podcast. You're going to get a discount. So even though it's the bye week, a lot to talk about. Missouri had basketball media day yesterday. Yesterday was the first day of practice. 
and you wrote about it this morning. The only thing that I thought was noteworthy to come out of that is Conzo Martin said he's going to play the way that a lot of people have been wanting him to play for the last year. He's he's typically had one of the slower teams in college basketball, always had like a traditional two-post guy. He says we're playing four guards, and now mm-hmm. one of them may be Kobe Brown or Trey Jackson, who isn't guard size, but we think has guard skills. This is the way college basketball is going. It's Missouri's best chance. Yeah, I agree. Um, saying four guards is maybe a little misleading because, like you said, I mean, Kobe Brown and, and Trey Jackson are both six, seven, six, eight. They're, but if they they're can built handle like the ball. But, yes, that was his point. They they can, you know, do more than, than you know, Kevin Perrier was six, seven, but he was more of an, a, a post-up type player. Uh, Kobe Brown played guard in high school basically his whole career. Trey Jackson, I've watched him play. He he spends a lot of time on the perimeter. He can shoot the three. Conzo uh, basically, he, he wants to surround Jeremiah Tillman with guys who can handle the ball, space the floor, knock down the three. And he didn't, you know, specifically go much into pace, but I think play a little bit faster. I don't think I mean, you're going to see them start. With- Right. Smaller athletic guys, you're going to play. Yeah, faster. I don't think you're going to all of a sudden see him start, you know, full court pressing or anything like that. But uh, I, I think you know those who watched the team last year would would say that that definitely is something the team was lacking was just kind of some athleticism and ball handling on the on the perimeter. I, I think this favors a guy like Xavier Pinson. I mm-hmm. think it's a system Mario McKinney can play in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the impression I got, and he talked about you know maybe being able to go ten deep, the way they're going to play. I think it – and look, nobody plays 13 except maybe Mike Anderson. But I think it's fairly apparent 11, 12, and 13 in some order are probably Reed Nico, Axel Congo, and Parker Brown. And these are guys that I just don't expect to see meaningful minutes for barring yeah. Jeremiah Tillman – either getting hurt or losing his mind and getting three fouls in the first three minutes, which is not impossible. <laughs> We've seen it several times. Uh, I think Reed Nico plays a somewhat similar role to last season, maybe a little less. We were talking about which this actually a minute really ago. Which you wouldn't really term meaningful minutes. No, no. I mean, he, he yeah, he, you know, there were times maybe. when he played meaningful minutes because of fouls. And that's the thing. Yeah, just, in, and Conta said that, you know, barring fouls. And certainly that's not something you can discount given <laughs> yes. who is playing center. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, the, yeah, th- there's a chance maybe, uh, I guess, you know, Parker Brown could, could ste- step in and play, oh, rotate a little bit with the two fours. Um, but you've got but, Mitchell Smith there who is more experienced. Yeah. I, I don't know if he's more athletic or not, but I yeah. feel like just from listening to Conzo, he's higher in the rotation. Yeah. But yeah, no, I agree. If you're playing 10 guys, I think, I think it's, you know, the, the scholarship players aside from, from Nico Brown and uh, and Axel Okongo. Um, he seemed relatively high on, on Mario McKinney yesterday. We, we know that Kobe Brown and Trey Jackson are going to play. I think they're basically going to man the four spot. So, only, there you go. Only thing that, I don't know, Mark Smith said this is the timetable. Does it raise a red flag at all that Mark Smith still isn't practicing? Because it kind of did for me. It kind of did for me, too. Mark Smith seemed unconcerned he's also a hard guy to get a read on mark smith the, seems unconcerned about every if you've ever talked to yeah. mark smith nothing's ever concerned him. yeah it's he's very very relaxed um yeah, yeah I, so i don't know um he's he's been doing some things just not you know full uh five on five if, full cleared for full barry practice, Odom would tell so. us if there was a game tomorrow mark smith would play well he would have told us that eight months ago also <laughs> yeah um but yeah so i don't know i i think as of right now, I'm still good to take him at his word that he'll be ready. I mean, we've still got, you know, a month six and a half weeks, till the season like starts. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we are six weeks from the, the first game. I 
couldn't even tell you honestly who it's against. Uh, we'll figure that out at some point. It, it's still very much, you know, football for the next few weeks, uh, NCAA stuff. We will touch on basketball from time to time. I'm sure they'll have a couple media opportunities, but we are in the middle of football season. And uh, by week number one, uh, the second one about four weeks away, and by that time, let's, let's just kind of finish up with this. Missouri should be 7-1. and one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, it's it's not impossible that they, like we said, they drop one to Vandy or Kentucky right. on the road. But, yes, I I, th- I mean, they will absolutely be favored in every game between here and Georgia, probably by more than a touchdown. I, I would think they'll be double-digit favorites in every game. Maybe yeah. not Kentucky yeah. on the road. But, yeah, they, they should be. And so, kind of last thing, let's assume Missouri wins its next four games. At mm-hmm. what point in that do you think Missouri finds itself in the top 25? Um, I think probably post Vanderbilt. If say that's my guess, yeah, I think I think it's possible it could Unless come sooner they just if people blow if, Troy and all yeah, out. and and if teams in front of them lose, um, yeah, I, I could say I could say it's possible, but I don't think tr- beating Troy gets you there. Most likely, right. if they blow out Troy and uh, miss and teams in front of them, unless twenty one through twenty five lose, yeah, I wouldn't be stunned if they make it. You know, post Ole Miss win, but I think. I think you you know you you win relatively easily against Troy. You beat Ole Miss, and then you go on the road and beat Vanderbilt, and you're sitting at what six and one. Yeah, uh, I think that definitely gets you in. The yeah, top and then you beat Kentucky. You're seven. I think best case scenario, seven and one. Couple teams in front of you lose on your bye week. You go into Georgia, fifteen ish in the yeah. country. Yeah, and and then see what happens. And, yeah. and then if you can have a competitive loss to Georgia, that doesn't knock you out, and you have a chance to stay there all mm-hmm. season. And I mean. You know, it's probably or likely. Win, with, like, I'm not going to say it's yeah, impossible. and well, that's what I where I was going. But it's not. I'm not going to say it's likely because Georgia's looked pretty good. But like, yeah. if you know, it, it's setting up to the point where if the only loss the rest of the way is against Georgia, there it's not out of the question that the SEC East. I mean, Georgia could lose two games. They have a they hard could. enough schedule. They it's could. not likely, but it's possible. Uh, yeah, I'd be surprised. I, I think, but ten and two clearly, if you're eligible, is going to get you a New Year Six bowl. I the amazing thing would be. Like, it would happen. If Missouri would run the table, you would have a team playing for a spot in the college football playoff that lost to Wyoming in the first week of the season. I would venture to guess that's never happened. Yeah, well, the playoff history is not very well, lengthy. I, I mean, but. Right, but I would guess nobody that's ever finished in the top four has lost to Wyoming. Uh, yeah, I, would, I think that is a safe bet. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where we're at. Um, we will be back next week on the podcast. I, I don't know. Maybe we'll preview Troy. Like you said, we're getting DeMarcus yeah. Ware on the podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to hunt down DeMarcus Ware. He and Mitch can live to, live up old Broncos memories. Uh, not really, because I don't think I have much of a chance to do that. But we'll have somebody on the podcast next week to talk about Troy. Uh, we will look forward to the rest of the season. Enjoy the bye week. Order some, some Shakespeare's pizza and watch awful football. And we'll talk to you next week.